Welcome everyone to the Ready for the Draft podcast. I am your host, Greg Schutz. This is episode 11 of the 2024 podcast series, where we take a look at the draft eligible prospects and get you ready for the NFL draft. And as the month of November comes to an end, which means the regular season is over, we've got the conference championships, and then we get into bowl season. One of my favorite times of year, never miss a bowl game, enjoy watching all of the different matchups, although a lot of guys that enter the draft won't make themselves available for the bowl games, but look, bowl games, it's all about tradition when you're watching a lot of those, but we also have the postseason awards, and I think one of the things that's really interesting, a lot of the finalists have come out, and when you look at who's up at the top of the list, you know, there are a lot of names that, that jump out to you right away. When you look at the Maxwell Award, you look at the Davey O'Brien Award, you know, you're talking about, you know, top quarterback, the top uh, player of the year is the Maxwell Award, and there are three names that stick out. You're talking about Michael Penix Jr. of Washington, who has a chance to take the Huskies not only to a Pac-12 title, but then also a college football playoff berth for the first time. You have Bo Nix of Oregon, 60 starts under his belt, uh, an FBS record. I don't think we'll ever see a number like that, uh, especially due to the, the COVID year and everything else. Um, Bo Nix, you know, you, you see where he was at, at Auburn. I didn't understand all of the hype when initially when he came to Oregon. But man, this is a guy that's really put everything together. And another guy who also has Pac-12 ties. In the last year of the Pac-12, the, the story tradition, you look at Jaden Daniels, started his career at Arizona State. And if you've heard me talk about guys like Dak Prescott, these guys are athletes who happen to be playing quarterback until their final year when they put everything together and suddenly you look at it and you know what this is a quarterback who happens to be a great athlete and that's the same maturation process that we've seen with Jaden Daniels and, and these guys look not only are they going to be duking it out for the Davey O'Brien and the Maxwell but these are the three guys that I think will end up being our three fi uh, Heisman finalists when it's all said and done and look I grew up on Pac-10 football I'm a Trojan alum Welcome to Pac-12 with open arms. And so what I love to see in that final year, either Bo Nix or Michael Penix Jr. win the award for the Pac-12 conference, Caleb Williams and uh, either Penix Jr. or Bo Nix to win the Heisman in the final two years of the Pac-12's existence. That would be phenomenal. But I'll tell you what, the best player in college football this year, I don't care that LSU has lost three games. Jaden Daniels has been the best player. And like I said, the maturation process is unreal. Now, granted, when you watch Jaden Daniels play, he does have two, not just one, but two wide receivers who should be taken in round number one. But some of the things that he's doing out on the field are just, just freaky. And, you know, it was interesting when you watched... The, the game against Texas A&M. They, they talked about going into that game. Just some, some gaudy numbers. The two previous games totaled over 1,100 yards and 13 touchdowns that he was responsible for. Those yards are an SEC record for any two-game span. So that was against you know Florida and Georgia State, but still 
the numbers are just absolutely eye-popping. Look, against Florida, just 12 carries for 234 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, when you look at the, the ability as a passer, much improved. Arizona State, he, he left Tempe with a with a 62% completion percentage. He's up to 70% in his career at LSU with the 72.2 in his final season. Uh, cleaned up all the interceptions. His last year there with the Sun Devils had 10 picks, uh, 40 touchdowns, 4 interceptions in 2023, uh, 3,800 yards passing. And, you know, he just he seems to really uh, be comfortable in that offense. You know, full control. You watch him go through his progressions. He's finding the open receiver. And look, he's not a guy who's just going to pull it and run every chance he gets. He's going through those progressions. And when the field opens up and he's under pressure, that's when, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and pull it. I'm going to get those yards and over 1,100 yards, 8.4 yards per carry and 10 touchdowns. You know, the, the numbers, you know, they, they were showing stats, you know, in the game, uh, you know, numbers that, that rivaled Joe Burrow, that rivaled Johnny Manziel, um, you know, Jaden Daniels, to me, you look at, you know, him as an NFL prospect, and that's really what this is about, what this podcast is about. For all the hype that Bo Nix and Michael Penix Jr. get, those two guys, along with Jaden Daniels and J.J. McCarthy, they're battling to be number three behind Caleb Williams and Drake May, and again, for all the hype that Bo Nix and Michael Penix Jr. have, everyone should be talking about Jaden Daniels because to me, this is a guy that's going to be a first-round pick. I think that there's a good chance that he can end up being a top-10 pick when it's all said and done. Um, you know, you just you look at his ability to process things. You look at the athleticism. Uh, you look at the arm strength, his ability to throw on the run. Um, he, he's making much better decisions than, than he ever has. Um but you just you love the deep ball accuracy. You love the touch. You love the ball placement, um, the poise in the pocket. Um, you know, against Alabama, you know he's got Chris Braswell bearing down on him. You know, he steps up, slides to his right. That field, that side of the field, finally opens up. He pulls it, and decides to run. Um, so the decision again, when he wants to go ahead and take, you know, take off, he's able to do that. Uh, but also hanging in the pocket when he needs to. 13 seconds left, ball at the 27-yard line, rifles one to, to Kyron Lacey, put the ball on him before the safety Christian story there from Bama coming over, the receiver able to haul it in, turn it up the field for the touchdown, deep in-breaking route, Lacey sits down in the void in the zone, perfect, perfect pass, able to put it right on him, and, and that's something that I look at at Jaden Daniels is, you know, just that growth. You know, I think there's still at times where he'll get a little careless with the football, uh, he'll stare down receivers, but um, you know he, he needs to take care of himself. I think is probably one of the biggest things. He's not a fan of sliding. He's going to look to try to, to initiate contact. And look, he's six four. Yes, he's two hundred and ten pounds, but he's got kind of a wiry frame. Um, so you know, taking that beating there at the next level, I think that's something that he's going to have to watch out for. And, and look, you know, Jaden Daniels doesn't have the luxury. You know, he's got a decent offensive line. Will Campbell, Garrett Dellinger, uh, Charles Turner, Miles Frazier, Emery Jones. Decent offensive line, right? When you look at Jaden Daniels and you look at the numbers, 104 pressures, 21 sacks, uh, you know, five throwaways. Uh, he hit, was hit a couple of times as he was throwing the football, just twice. Uh, but when you look at that in comparison to Michael Penix Jr. and, and, and Bo Nix, they're playing behind two elite offensive lines. Look, Bo Nix, he's got two tackles that will likely be play, playing in the league. Josh Connerly 
and then the transfer from Rhode Island playing right tackle of Johnny Cornelius. Uh, then you've got Marcus Harper, probably the weakest of the offensive linemen, still a solid left guard. You have the, the giant uh, Stephen Jones, and then the leader of that that uh, offensive line, the guy who's really my number three center, and that's Jackson Powers jo uh, Johnson. These guys took care of Bo Nix, sacked just six times, only had to scramble 17 times versus the 55 that Jaden Daniels had. When you look at it, uh, you know his his ultimate you know sack percentage just 9.1 percent compared to 20.2 for Jaden Daniels. Um, when you look at the pressures, just 66, 66 pressures. So when you look at Bo Nix running an offense and running what he's been able to do, he's been pretty clean. He's been able to do a lot of different things because he hasn't been under pressure to the extent that some of these other quarterbacks have. Michael Penix Jr., same thing. Look, he's got two offensive linemen. One of them is going to be a first-round pick, and that's Troy Fatano, the left tackle. Is he a tackle? Is he a guard? I don't care. The guy's got the skill set to play at the next level and play at a high level. I think he's a Pro Bowl caliber guard, so I think that's ultimately where he's going to be. But you look at Michael Penix Jr., 108 pressures, just nine sacks, that's 8.2% on the pressures to sack uh, you know, comparison there, but 23 throwaways. Um, well, these are numbers all coming in from, from Pro Football Focus. But when you so you look at that, and even with Michael Penix Jr., you know, just nine sacks. You know, we're not talking about double-digit sacks like we have with, with Jaden Daniels. When you look at what Jaden Daniels has still been able to accomplish, despite the fact that he has been under more duress than these other two guys, you know, yes, he's running for all those yards. But then you look at what he's been able to do with his arm and the ball placement and such. To me, Jaden Daniels is a guy that has grown so much this year. I think he's worthy of the Heisman, but I think he's also the number three quarterback in this year's draft. So when you talk about these guys, the other guy obviously to mention is, is J.J. McCarthy. This guy wasn't hit once while he was throwing. Just 86 pressures, um, 14 sacks, no throwaways, didn't have to ever throw the football away on his own intentionally because again he's playing behind one of the best offensive lines in all of college football so it makes it kind of hard to really judge jj mccarthy what what can he do in in, in a clean pocket is he ever going to see a, a pocket that clean at the next level you know you look at that offensive line yet again with ladarius henderson there at left tackle a guy that i thought when i watched him play jt to him I thought that he did a great job shutting down JT and, and you know really wasn't a huge factor in that game. Then you've got the guards, Trevor Keegan, Zach Zinter. I know Zach Zinter with the with the leg injury, broken fibula, broken tibia. Um, you know, I, I send my best to, to, to big number 65 because he's one of my favorite players to watch because of the nastiness, because of the physicality. To me, he's a top four guard in this year's draft. You know, I've got uh, Fatanu, I've got Garrett Barton, and I've got Co uh, Co uh, Cooper Beebe. Right after that, it's, it's Zach Zinter. At center, you've got Drake Nugent, the guy that came over from Stanford, a guy that I think is going to get drafted in the middle of day three at that pivot. And then at right tackle, you've got Carson uh, Barnhart, you've got Miles Hinton, a couple of guys that have a chance to potentially play at the next level. You know, but that's clearly the, the weakest link. And when you look at Michigan, though, 
And you look at J.J. McCarthy, again, they're a running offense. It's hard to really use that to kind of judge exactly what you're dealing with there with J.J. Uh, McCarthy. So to me, I look at these guys, what Jaden Daniels has done has really impressed me. I look at, at Michael Penix Jr., and the arm strength is going to bail him out of a lot of situations, uh, but the mobility is really what I worry about. I worry about his mobility, the, the knee, two ACL surgeries, uh, you know, the ball placement with him, though, and that rocket arm and the accuracy. A lot of guys will have the big arm, but they don't have the accuracy. This is the guy that does. He just doesn't have the mobility that a lot of these other guys have, and that's really what worries me at the next level. I think Bo Nix doesn't have that arm strength, but he's a, he's a superior playmaker with his legs. You know, the thing with it is, is Bo Nix has also been playing in this offense. He's very comfortable in this offense. And when you watch him actually get under pressure and is really running for his life, like Caleb Williams and Drake May had to do all year long, the accuracy suffered because that arm strength is just average. When we talk about Drake May and Caleb Williams, we've talked about a lot of these numbers from Pro Football Focus. What does that look like for these guys? Well, with, with Drake May, he was hit seven times as he was trying to, to, to get rid of the football. He was pressured 145 times. That's still 37 more times than the next highest pressure rate, and that was Michael Penix Jr. So his overall pressure to sack is at a 20% because he was sacked 29 times. And you know, ultimately had to scramble 51 times, 20 throwaways. So when you look at Drake May, you look at everything that he does, the pocket presence, the feel, the way that he makes it look easy. A lot of what he's had to do was under duress, and he has stepped up to the plate. Yes, there's been some accuracy issues and some concerns, but he's also played at a high level despite playing behind a porous offensive line. Now when you talk about porous offensive lines, you got to look at USC and say Caleb Williams was a guy that was trying to do everything on his own. He already had an Alex Grinch-led defense that was historically bad for the USC Trojans. Then he had an offensive line in front of him that just was not blocking and taking care of him. As a result, he was sacked 35 times, 152 pressures. That's still seven more than Drake May even. Only had to scramble 24 times because a lot of the, a lot of the plays that he was making was buying time, doing the Caleb Williams, and being able to throw off-platform, making these just absurd throws with the torque and everything else. Uh, so when you talk about the pressure-to-sack ratio, you know that's 23% because he was sacked those 35 times, had to throw the football away 24 times, so under duress constantly. And so when people say, well, Caleb Williams, is he a generational-type talent? You know, that's really the big question mark that a lot of people have. Look, Caleb Williams, what he's been able to do even this year, and, and people want to give him a hard time about what he's done this year, in his Heisman Trophy winning season, 66.6% .6 completion percentage, over 4,500 yards, 42 touchdowns, just to five interceptions, right? And then uh, on the ground, another 382 yards and 10 touchdowns. What has he done this year? Obviously, you know, he, he's taking some of those, those hits to the, to the rushing totals, only 142 yards on the ground, but he still had 11 touchdowns. And then you look at what he's done as a passer, actually improved his completion percentage uh, with 68.6%, uh, just a little over 3,600 yards, 30 touchdowns, five interceptions. Um, you know, obviously, you know, this is a guy that 
was was worn out and beat up by the time the season was done. That offensive line just was not doing him any favors in the back half of the season. was was really rough against some better competition, and that really showed against that that offensive line. Uh, you know, John Henson, their offensive line coach, is really going to have to put in some work. So when, when we look at it, we talk about you know, where's the separation. Caleb Williams, to me, is your number one quarterback, and there's no question about that. I said maybe 1A, 1B with him and Drake May. No. Caleb Williams is number one. Drake May is number two. I don't think there's as much of a drop-off. The more I watch Jaden Daniels, the more I like. The more I look at him and say, he's your Heisman Trophy winner. Give him the Davey O'Brien. Go ahead and give him uh, the Maxwell Award. Jaden Daniels is that guy. You know What you do have with Bo Nix and Michael Penix Jr., they're going to be playing on on excuse me tomorrow Friday. Jaden Daniels won't have that opportunity. His last chance was was that game against Texas A&M this past weekend, and all he did was throw for, for 235 yards, four touchdowns, and then also just you know I think it was 11 carries for 120 20 yards and a 42 to 30 win over the Aggies. Bo Nix, Michael Penix Jr., you put the two of them in that Pac-12 championship, and I think you know, you're going to see their, their play really get elevated, and I'm really excited to see what that outcome is going to be. I think there's a chance that if one of the two of them has a huge game that they could sneak away with the Heisman. Um, I don't think that's going to make any effect, though, on, uh, on the draft itself. I think what you have, again, Caleb Williams, Drake May, Jaden Daniels, are going to be the top three quarterbacks, possibly all taken in, in the top 10 picks. Then after that, you're looking at probably J.J. McCarthy. Again, he's one of the harder guys to judge as a quarterback. Can he lead his team? Can he be that guy? He hasn't been asked to do that because that offensive line has been so dominant. The running game has been so dominant. Blake Corum finding the end zone in short yardage and, and, uh, and red zone opportunities. I think most of his touchdowns, he's leading... Uh, you know the country, but you know, most of his touchdowns are right around the goal line. You know it's it's remarkable, but uh, when when asked, you've seen some NFL throws out of, out of JJ McCarthy. Um, you've seen the athleticism, um, and, and with Bo Nix, you know I think you know you've seen some of those. But again, I want to see him under duress. I want to see uh, Washington's defense get after him. I'm looking at Braylon Trice, number eight. This is a guy that look. You want to, you know, say what you will about uh, edge rushers. I know a lot of people fall in love with the twitchiness of Chop Robinson and Dallas Turner. But when you're watching that game, keep an eye out for number eight because that is a dude that will not slow down. He just doesn't stop. He co keeps coming after you. And I think that's one of the things that is so much fun about watching Braylon Trice is you know, he's not the quickest guy by any means. He's not the not the fastest off the ball. He's not going to be the you know the twitchiest or the bendiest type of guy. But his motor's always running. He's physical, and man, he is going to try to outwork you on every single play. And that's that's one of the things that I think is is special about Braylon Trice is is the fact that look, you know, everyone wants to to bash on on Aiden Hutchinson because he's got some limitations in in his game. Um, but the guy never gives up. He's always around the football, and it's not just the sacks. You know, Hutchinson has five and a half sacks this year, but it's also the hurries, getting after the quarterback and, and right around uh, around the football. So I think that's something when you look at, at what Aiden Hutchinson has done. You know, 58 quarterback pressures—that's tops in the the NFL this year. But when you look at Braylon Trice, similar situation. 
Just six sacks. So you look at that, that's not impressive. The guy with the most sacks this year, Jalen Green at, with 18, Liatu Latu with 14. But what he does, he's leading the FBS in hits with 15. He's also sitting there with 43 hurries, getting after that quarterback. Uh, you know, he's, he's getting that pressure rate. And a lot of times the pressures, that's going to force mistakes. That's going to, you know, that that's not always, it's not always about the sacks. You know, sacks are great. But what else are you doing? What else are you bringing? What else are you contributing uh, as you're getting there and getting home? And Braylon Trice is able to do a little bit of everything, and that's what I really like about it. And so I want to see what Braylon Trice can do getting after Bo Nix. I really want to see Bo Nix tested in the pocket, and I want to see what he's able to do because we did see a little bit of it against Oregon State. We saw the, the, the nickel coming off the edge, but you know he was really untouched. And Bo Nix, look, you know he, he would throw the ball up, and he would complete the pass where the receiver was wide open. I mean, you've got freaking, you know, Troy Franklin just running circles around guys. You know, this is the guy that, look, he's not going to be a first-round pick. He'll be a second-rounder. Uh, but the speed and then his ability to separate coming out of his breaks for a guy at 6'3 uh, is really impressive. Um, I think he's actually 6'2. But, you know, then there was that other throw that he had where he was rolling out to his right. And he throws it across his body. And look, Brock Heward on the broadcast was flipping out about that throw. But it hung up there in the air. You know, yes, he's throwing it across his body, but he's not going to get, you know, be able to do that at the next level. You know, if he was going to make that throw, he's got to make it like like Caleb Williams, actually put some juice on that ball and put it on his receiver in a hurry. And that ball just hung up in the air forever. But, you know, there were plays where you had that, that nickel coming off the edge. He had enough time, and he was able to hit a wide-open receiver. Um, so, Knicks needs to be under pressure. That's really the biggest thing for me with him. You know, we talk about J.J. McCarthy and being able to step up and be the guy there at Michigan on a consistent basis. To me, Bo Nix, he's had the cleanest pocket of any of these quarterbacks. And, and yes, he's putting in a Heisman-worthy you know year, but he's he's not a first-round quarterback for me. I think he's a guy that you know will, will be a second-rounder. I think Michael Penix Jr. because of his knee, you know, he, he could fall further than that. But you know, it's one of those things. I think you know, you watch him make those throws from the right hash to the opposite sideline, 40, 50 yards down the field, outside the numbers, and put it where only his receiver can make a play on the football, and put it on a line and allow Jalen Polk or Romo Dunze to take off with the football. You know. Penix Jr. is right there. You know, he, he's, he's right there. You know, the biggest thing, like I said, is that mobility, and that's what worries me the most about Michael Penix Jr. I think when, when it's all said and done, um, I think we'll have four quarterbacks taken in round number one, and, uh, you know, that'll, that'll kind of be that. Is Carson Beck going to be coming out? You know, obviously you look at Georgia. He's one of those quarterbacks that's probably going to be, you know, what, sixth, seventh in the, in the Heisman voting. Um, at 6'4", 220 pounds. This, to me, I still look at Carson Beck and I see game manager. So I've, I've heard a lot of talk about him possibly being the number three quarterback. I, I, I just, I don't see it. I don't see it yet. Um, you know, I, I think there was, you know, because he's 6'4", 220 and not 5'11", like, like uh, Stetson Bennett, you know, there, there's a lot more talk about him, you know, much higher in the draft. But, you know, I don't see too much of a difference. You know, Spencer, you know, Stetson Bennett was a, a game manager. I look at Carson Beck, I, I think he's a game manager. He, he's able to to make a lot of throws, but I just, I don't see him 
elevating a team at the next level. I just don't. I don't see it there. And so I've gone off on a tangent talking about the quarterbacks, but really it's been about the end-of-year awards. And again, a lot of these make perfect sense when you're talking about these positions and guys that we need to be watching you know, at, at early on in the draft. How about that Bolitnikoff Award? The finalists. Good Lord. Marvison, Marvin Harrison Jr., Malik Neighbors, Romo Dunze. That's my one, two, three in terms of the receiver position. Marvin Harrison Jr. we know is special. You know, he's 6'3", 205, and he has that size, but he runs routes like his dad. I mean, to be that tall, that that long, and still be able to, to throttle down, to sink his hips, to get in and out of the brakes, generate separation, uh, be able to get vertical down the field as well, uh, cut on a dime, come back to the football, then utilize that bigger body uh, you know, to shield the ball from defenders, use those long arms for this enormous catch radius. He does a little bit of everything. You know, he can high point the football. He's got the body control uh, to adjust to the football in the air. Uh, Tightrope walk the, the sideline before going out. Um, you know, the one thing that a lot of people want to give him a hard time about is his ability to make plays after the catch. Well, look, when you're running a, a drag route across the field and you're running away from defenders and then all you do is turn up the sideline and take off down the field, I mean, you don't really have to do too much other than run away from people uh, in, in that case. So um, to me, I, I look at Marvin Harrison Jr. and he's clearly the number one wide out. He'll be likely the you know second or third player taken in the draft. It just depends on who's... You know who's looking for a quarterback in those top three picks. You know, and I think Caleb Williams, Drake May, and, and Marvin Harrison Jr. will be the top three picks. Number two, it gets a little bit more interesting, but I think Malik Neighbors has the has secured that spot for me. When, when I look at Malik Neighbors, I, I think he absolutely has uh, number one wideout written all over him. 6'1", 188 pounds. Uh, 86 catches, over 1,500 yards, that's 18 yards per reception, and 14 touchdowns this season. So, I mean, when you think about those stats, uh, and we talk about them, you know, you, you think about, well, what about Jamar Chase? You think about another LSU receiver, six, six foot 201. When he was at LSU with Joe Burrow, 84 catches, over 1,700 yards, 1,780 yards, that's through 14 games, 21.2 yards per reception, and 20 touchdowns. Now, Malik Neighbors, a little bit taller, not nearly as big, but through 12 games, 18 yards per reception. You know, he's he's gaining on him, you know, with a lot of the numbers. He'll only be able to play in one additional game because LSU won't be in the SEC championship. But, you know, you look at the numbers, the numbers are definitely comparable. They're getting very close there. So when you think about where Malik Neighbors is, is as a wideout, is he J uh, Jamar Chase? Maybe not quite in that caliber, but man, he's pretty darn close. You watch the footwork, uh, the physicality, the catch radius, and then his ability to, to take off and the speed vertically as well, uh, the route running ability. You know, he does a little bit of everything. He can play anywhere on the field. Um, so to me, Malik Neighbors, yeah, you could see three receivers taken in the top 10. Absolutely. And, and Malik Neighbors definitely would be one of those guys. And then you have Rome Odunze. Now, Rome Odunze is another just beast of a receiver playing there at Washington. I mean, when you, we talk about 
you know, Bo Nix, and we talk about Michael Penix Jr., you know, we the receivers. Look at the receivers that those two guys have the benefit of throwing to. And really, Jaden Daniels as well, the three Heisman Trophy finalists. They've got, you know, Jaden Daniels has Malik Neighbors, my number two wideout, and Brian Thomas, my number five wideout. Bo Nix has Troy Franklin, who is my number, I want to say seven? Seven wideout. Michael Penix Jr., Romo Dunze, 6'3", 200. He's my number three wideout. And then a little bit later on, I've got Jalen Polk and and, uh, and Jalen McMillan. They're probably in that, that 13, 14, 15 range, somewhere around there. Um, so these guys have had the benefit of throwing to some pretty talented receivers. I mean, it's, it's off the charts. One, Romo Dunze, this guy is, is special. Um, back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons, over 1,300 yards this past season, 18.2 yards per reception, 13 touchdowns. This is a track guy. You know, that's one of the things that, that we forget about because of the size is this is a guy that has the speed to get vertical and get on you in a hurry. Get on those toes of the receiver or of the cornerback and then be able to throttle down and, and come back to the football. Um, you know, I think everybody's been talking about the, the Oregon State game, just how aggressive he was on that 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 Stella, that slake, uh, the, the slant at the stem, right? I mean, it was a 12-yard touchdown. Uh, the plant to the inside, head and shoulder fake. It was so demonstrative. And then he cuts it back to the outside, gets the separation that he needs, tracks the ball over his shoulder. Nice little sluggo for the touchdown. There's a 32-yard rece- uh, reception for a touchdown in that same game to the wide side against Ryan Cooper, who may be, he and Jaden Robinson are the two best corners there for the Beavers. Gets an outside release, really unable to separate down the field. Penix really throws him open on, on a back shoulder throw, adjusts to the football, able to make a play on the ball and, and haul it in, uses that big body to his advantage, gets late separation, doesn't really extend that arm and shove, but he's able to get that late separation, You know, has a knack for being able to do that. Um, another big play wide out. I think they got it right there with the Blitnikoff award. Um, but look, Keon Coleman, 6'4", 215. We know that Keon Coleman mosses guys. I think the biggest thing for me with Keon Coleman is, is can he do it on, on a regular basis? This is a guy that I think every single time he, he does something and he wows you. Um, he looks like a basketball player out on the football field. I said that about Drake uh, Drake London coming out of USC. Same situation. Um, but can he separate at the next level on a consistent basis? That's the biggest question mark I have for him. Right now he's sitting there at number four for me. I look at Brian Thomas Jr. at 6'4", 205. He's got tremendous size, but he also has that speed to get vertical on you. He's going to be able to, to win those 50-50 balls, out-jump you, but the vertical speed is something that, that turns your head. Uh, Emeka Ibuka sitting there at number six, 6'1", 203. Um, gosh, another Ohio State uh, wideout. But you look at Ibuka and another guy that has phenomenal speed. You love the route running. You know, when you look at these guys, he's one of those technicians as a route runner. He just has a knack for being able to get open at all three levels. Uh, he's a guy to me that I think is a first rounder towards the end of round number one. Then uh, obviously, you know, I mentioned Troy Franklin, uh, Adonai Mitchell, A.D. Mitchell, 6'4", 196 pounds. He's a big play threat down the field, big catch radius. Xavier Worthy is a guy that you can use in the slot, 6'1", 160, 70 pounds. 
You know, he's not the biggest guy by any means, but a dude that just is so explosive, and all he does is catch touchdowns there for the Longhorns. And one other receiver to mention is Xavier Leggett out of South Carolina. Now, look, I, I think when you look at, at Leggett, he really burst onto the scene this year. You know, a guy that really helped himself more than any other wideout, right? And, um, you know, before this season, you know, you're talking about a guy that had, what, um, 423 yards receiving um, and just five touchdowns. Really, he was not the focal point of the offense. You think of Juice Wells. Antoine Wells was that wideout, especially going into the uh, into the 2023 season. Everyone was talking about Juice Wells. Then he, he breaks his foot, gets hurt. Xavier Leggett is now the guy. And boy, did he respond in a huge way. 71 catches, 1,255 yards, seven touchdowns, and 17.7 yards per reception. Now, the guy that he reminds me of, again, at 6'3", 227, reminds me of DK Metcalf. What did he weigh in at the combine? 6'3", and 3'8", 228 pounds. You know, I mean, the arm length is ridiculous. I mean, just under 35 inches. But uh, ran a 4'3", 340. And, uh, you know, the, the biggest thing was the, the short shuttle, the three-cone drill. That's where he struggled. But, man, dude could jump out of the building, bench press two, uh, 225, 27 times. Uh, when you look at the stats there at Ole Miss, just 26 catches, 569 yards, five touchdowns, but 21.9 yards per reception. Um, so you look at the productivity, you know, I wouldn't really worry about that with Xavier Leggett. Really want to see what he does at the combine, how he tests. Um, is it going to be comparable to DK Metcalf? I think he's going to end up being a, a, uh, an early day two receiver and, and a guy that I think can help teams uh, be, you know, that physical presence, much like we see with. Uh, with, with DK there with Seattle. Um, so kind of getting again off on a tangent when we're talking about receivers, but that's part of what I wanted to do was kind of take these end of year uh, categories and kind of build off of them from there because I think a lot of these guys are your top players at the different positions. I'm looking at the Chuck McNarrick Award for the Defensive Player of the Year, and there are three guys here. Um, who are all going to be playing at the next level, could be playing at a high level at the next level. Layatu Latu out of UCLA. Dallas Turner of Alabama. Peyton Wilson of NC State. Look, but Peyton Wilson, he could end up being one of the top linebackers in this year's draft if the medicals check out. I mean, he's got shoulders, he's got knee, I mean, all kinds of injuries. But man, if this dude, if things check out, he's just a freaking football player, man. And that's one of the things that uh, you know, it's just so much fun to watch Wolfpack football when he is out on the football field. He's 6'4", 235 pounds. Sounds a lot like Jack Campbell, right? I mean, a bigger linebacker. Um, this season, healthy, 138 tackles, 17 and a half going for loss, six sacks, three interceptions, six pass breakups, and a partridge in a pear tree. I mean, look, you know, in his career, over 400 tackles, 402 to be exact, 48 tackles for loss, 15 sacks, 7 interceptions, 13 pass breakups. The guy does a little bit of everything. He's got the nose for the football, ridiculous tackling radius, just sideline to sideline, uh, just the versatility as a playmaker. But again, how does that shoulder, had that, that uh, sh shoulder surgery in 2021, um, has battled some knee injuries as well. Uh, and so that's really going to be the biggest thing for him. How does that check out? I think he's a, a guy that could be a first-round linebacker if the medicals check out. That's going to be the biggest thing. Another guy where the medicals are going to need to check out, that's going to be Layatu Latu. 
uh, of UCLA. This guy may be my favorite player in the entire draft, and that's coming from a, a USC Trojan. Uh, so you know th this dude's got to be a stud, right? So with Latu, he's 6'4", 265. If you know his career, he started at Washington and uh, ultimately – uh, had a neck injury that ultimately caused him to, uh, well, really Washington staff uh, medically retired, right? So that was in, uh, was injured in uh, November of 2020. In early 2021, that's when he was medically retired. In fall of 2021, he's cleared by an independent doctor. January 2022, he transfers to UCLA. And the rest, as they say, is history. Because this dude at UCLA... Um, 34 tackles for loss, 23 and a half sacks, um, five forced fumbles to go along with it as well. But this dude is the premier edge rusher in this year's draft. Um, I, I don't think there's anybody that is as feared as number 15 uh, in in the, the Bruin uniform. The his ability to bend coming off the edge. I think some people give him a hard time with his bend, but look, I think. He's explosive coming off the football. Um, and then he is able to bend. And what I love is he's got this rip move. And what he loves to do is he kind of grabs onto that that arm of the, the offensive tackle, that outside arm, and kind of uses that to kind of help kind of almost as a fulcrum, just kind of pulling himself around the corner. And then he flattens out, gets to the quarter in a hurry. Um, you know, he, he shoots gaps. Gets skinny, getting into uh, you know in, into the backfield. Uses his hands so well. You see a lot of chops. You see rips. You see arm overs. He's going to line up inside. He's going to line up outside. They have him lining up literally everywhere. Uh, but really, the patented move is the the quick slap and a rip, and he's gone, and, and he's by you. And uh, you know when you look at his numbers, that's the other thing that you that that's staggering when you talk about what he's able to do, right? Layatu Latu is among the league leaders in sacks at the FBS level. He's number three with 14, but he also has 11 hits. So he's, you know, he's right there in, in that group, uh, 11th, tied for 11th in, in the FBS with 11 hits. The hurries, he's also right there. He has 39 hurries that puts him fourth, tied for fourth, um, and just four hurries behind Braylon Trice. But then the other thing that you look at is the win rate. He's at a 23.3% uh, win rate. And when you look at the other guys in, in the sack totals, um, you know, nobody's even close to that 23.3%. Um, but that's one of the things that I think is so staggering about what, what Latu is able to do is he's just he's, he's a bad man coming off the edge. And I think that's part of what makes it so fun to watch him play. Um, then you have Dallas Turner. They're out of, uh, out of Alabama, and another guy that, look, he, he can get after the quarterback in a hurry. Nine sacks, 10 hits, 31 hurries. Uh, so Dallas Turner is a guy that I think can definitely perform at a high level coming off the edge. Um, you, you watch the hands. I think there's, there's some good hand work. Um, runs the arc very well. I think that's one of the things that's, you know, he's explosive, can dip that shoulder. Um, I think, you know, I do see him struggling to get off blocks at times. Um, you know, I think you see the, the burst, though, you know, to kind of negate some of that. The burst, the hands, his ability to keep that separation. Um, you know, he's going to cross the face of that tackle and win to the inside. You'll see a quick rip move, a quick arm over. 
Um, and if he can get his hands on you, he's got a pretty good bull rush as well. Um, he also has the effort, the, the ability to chase guys down, watch the, the game against LSU, and uh, you know he tracked down Jaden Daniels after a 16-yard run. He actually ran to the outside, cut it back to the inside, juked a couple of players, and you know ultimately Turner was able to track him down and drop him in the open field. Um, so I, I think Dallas Turner at 6'4", 240 pounds, he's... One of those guys is going to be in the conversation as the edge rushers. But to me, Leatu Latu is the premier pass rusher. One of the twi twitchiest dudes and the freakiest players is Chop Robinson. And I've got him as, as one of my top edge rushers. Uh, he's a guy that isn't nearly as productive. I mean, you talk about Odafe Owe. You talk about uh, Arnold Ebiketti coming out of, out of Penn State, right? And those were two different types of players. And you look at where Chop Robinson is. So if we want to take a look at... Um, you know, Odafe Owe, you know, his numbers are, are interesting. Um, you know, 6'5", 257, by the way. Um, did not record a single sack in 2020. In 2019, had five sacks, you know, seven total in his career, in his three years there at Penn State. Um, but was taken in the first round, number 31 overall to, to Baltimore in the 2021 draft. Then we think of a guy like Arnold Ebiketti. Um, you know, a guy that was constantly getting into the backfield, 6'3", 253, uh, second round pick, you know, 38th overall, um, you know, more productive in his final year there at Penn State after transferring from, from Temple, uh, 18 tackles for loss, nine and a half sacks in 2021. But here's the thing, when you watch them at the combine, Owe was special. Ran a 4-3-7-40 with a 1.9 10-yard split versus Arnold Epichetti. I mean, a very respectable 4-6-6-40 with a 1-6-9 10-yard split. You look at Chop Robinson and the explosiveness coming off the edge. He's a guy that I'm really excited to see exactly what he could do. He's 6'3", 240 pounds. He'll probably be right in that same range as, as Owe and Arnold Epichetti. But you watch that explosiveness coming off the edge. Why did Michigan decide they were just going to run the ball down Penn State's throat, you know, because they essentially tried to throw the ball a couple of times, and Carson Barnhart could not block Chop Robinson, and so as a result, uh, you know, they had to, to change the game plan. And you know, really kudos to uh, to Michigan for realizing that. Um, but here's the thing with uh, with Chop Robinson. You know, he, he seven seven and a half tackles for loss. He did have four sacks, so uh, twenty tackles for loss, eleven and a half sacks in his career, uh, in his three seasons there at Penn State. So he's kind of in between those two, between Owe and, and Ebiketti in terms of production in his final season, right? But I, I think when you look at the explosiveness, I think he'll probably be closer to the Owe side, probably in the middle there. Um, again, Odafe Owe was drafted with a thirty-first overall pick. Chop Robinson could end up coming off the board a little bit higher than that because of the potential. That's really going to be one of the biggest things. I think we're falling in love with, with the, the potential there and the explosiveness. Um, when we look at production at the next level, Odafe Owe over the, the first three seasons with the Ravens thus far, 12 sacks, You know, had a, had a, a career high as a, a rookie with five sacks, have four, has four sacks so far this year. You look at Epichetti in his two seasons with the Falcons, seven sacks in his career, two and a half in that first year, and then four and a half uh, the, the second season 
thus far here in 2023. So, you know, it's one of those things to where I think Chop Robinson with his explosiveness, um, you know, I think there's more in his tool belt right now than Odafe Owe in being able to get to the quarterback. I think that's why we're going to see him probably come off the board uh, probably in the in the early 20s. I don't think he should come off the board any earlier than that. I've seen some people talk about him as a top 10 pick. I just, I don't see that, you know, especially when you're talking about top 10 picks. Let's think about that for a second. Caleb Williams, Drake May, we know for sure are going to be top three quarterbacks, right? Top Or top three picks. Jaden Daniels has a good chance to be a, a third quarterback taken in the top 10. So we've got two or three right there, right? Already at the quarterback spot. No running backs. So then you get to the wide receivers. And I think we have as many as three receivers there. So we have between five and six already nailed down with our top 10 at the tight end position. We've got Brock Bowers out of Georgia. We know he's going off the board in the top 10. Let's not get it twisted there. Offensive tackles. As much as I love Amarius Mims and, and J.C. Latham um, and, and Jordan Morgan, there's so much talent at the offensive line position. We're going to have to have another podcast to really talk about the offensive line specifically because there's a lot of talent across the board. The only two offensive tackles that I see coming off the board in the top 10 are going to be Olu Fashanu and, and uh, Joe Alt. I think you're going to see as many as six, maybe even seven offensive tackles taken in round number one. Um, you know, when you think about Taliese Fuaga, you know, I haven't mentioned him yet. You got Tyler Guyton, there's Paul, um, you know, Kingsley Suamataya uh, could potentially sneak his way in at the end of round one, although I don't think that's possible. Um, you know, so you've got a lot of guys there. Plus, you're talking about some guards that played tackle at the next uh, at uh, the collegiate level in Troy Fatanu and Garrett uh, Graham Barton. Graham Barton can play guard or center. He has that five-position versatility. You know how the league loves that. He's the guy that I think is going to sneak his way into round number one. Battled some injuries this year, but he's a guy that I think will be a first-rounder. Uh, but when we're talking about the top ten, if we include Brock, Brock Bowers, and that's going to okay, that takes you between six and seven, right? Then with the two offensive tackles, that's going to put us between eight and nine guys taken in the top ten. And we haven't even looked at the defensive side of the football. So we've already talked about the edge rushers. I think Leatu Latu is a guy that has a great shot at being a top 10 pick. I think Dallas Turner is going to be in that discussion as well as far as the edge rushers. I don't think Chop Robinson or any of the other guys, I don't think Jared Verse is quite there, although he is a top top five, top six edge rusher along with Braylon Trice. But those guys, you know, Braylon Trice may fall to round two, although I think he is a first round caliber uh, edge rusher. When you look at the defensive tackle position, you've got Jerzon uh, Newton, Johnny Newton, but Johnny is not going to be a top 10 pick, I don't think. You know, he'll probably be in that range where we saw Kalijah Kansi come off the ball, off the board maybe a little bit earlier. Uh, Devondre Sweat is a guy that I love, could potentially find his way into the late round one, probably more like early round number two. Then you get to the linebacker spots. I'd love to put in Jeremiah Trotter. I think the guy's a, an absolute stud, playmaker. Um, but we saw last year when you you know you had guys like Trenton Simpson and and and, uh, and Drew Sanders who we thought were going to be first rounders, they fell off the board. Didn't even come off the board until round number three. I don't think that's going to happen with Jeremiah Trotter. Um, I just I don't know if he's going to be a first rounder if he's going to fall to day two. Um, but even still, again, not a top ten pick. So now that takes you to the secondary. 
secondary, really what we're talking about there is uh, you know safeties. I don't see that. You know, I think Cooper DeGene, is he a corner? Is he a safety? I think he could end up being a Pro Bowl safety. I think you have Cam Kitchens as well. Neither one of them are going to be top 10 picks, right? I mean, if Kyle Hamilton, I know he ran the slow 40, but if Kyle Hamilton isn't going to be a first-round pick, then these guys won't be first-round picks. Then you get to the cornerback spot, the true corners. Who's the top corner? You know, that's really a big question mark, right? I mean, is it Kool-Aid McKinstry? Is Kool-Aid McKinstry a top 10 level level corner? I, I don't know that he is. Um, Nate Wiggins. There's a possibility that we could see Nate Wiggins come off the board as, as the number one corner. I just don't see a corner that we should be jumping around and jumping for joy saying that this guy absolutely is going to be a top 10 pick. You know, Devin Witherspoon, we got excited there. We thought maybe there were going to be other guys um, you know, last season that would jump into that top 10 range. We didn't see that. Um, and, and so I, I think that's going to be a similar situation with this cornerback group. Can Nate Wiggins get into that top 10? I just, I don't know that it's going to happen. So really what I'm looking at is we have that eight to nine, right? So then you have, you add in Latu and Dallas Turner, and that gives you between 10 and 11. So that's right around what we should expect to see in the top 10. Just looking at the players, not looking at who's drafting where or anything else, just who I feel should be top 10 caliber picks in this year's draft. So that's kind of how I, I see some of that shaking out. When you look at the finalists and getting back to the awards yet again, um, I, I've already mentioned the Chuck Bednarik Award. When you get down to the Outland Trophy, we've talked about Joe Alt, we talked about Cooper Beebe. Uh, I think Cooper Beebe is probably your, your number three guard. He's not as athletic as Fatanu or Barton. Um, but what you do have is a guy that has that versatility to play both tackle and guard. He's physical as hell, much like Zach Zinter, and you know that makes him a lot of fun to watch. You get to that that uh, Jim Thorpe Award. You know Cooper DeGene, Malachi Starks, Trey Taylor of Air, of Air Force is sitting there. I look at Cooper DeGene. That's his award to lose. Um, you know, just a playmaker there at that cornerback spot for Iowa. He's going to be a first rounder. Um, and then you look at the linebacker position. You know, we, we've mentioned that previously. You know, Peyton Wilson is going to be a, a finalist there. Tyron Hopper of Missouri, he'll be a, a day three guy. Nathaniel Watson of Mississippi State. Uh, you know, look, I've been talking about this guy. I've been talking him up. Eight and a half sacks. Um, I, I love watching Mississippi State football because I, I enjoy watching uh, Nathaniel Watson. He's a top ten linebacker in my group. Um, you know, Eddie Olafosho there for, for Washington. Um, an interesting pick. Um, he was ninth in the conference, second on his team with 72 total tackles. Um, but, you know, again, he's, he's one of the leaders of that Washington defense, and they are undefeated. Um, then you look at Jeremiah Trotter Jr. Again, I think it's his award to lose, um, but I think he'll be competing with Peyton Wilson for that award. I think they got it right there from a bucket standpoint. Um, those are two guys that I think are, are two of the, the, the top linebackers. And you also have Edrin Cooper. Edrin Cooper is a, an interesting, interesting dude as well. Um, because, uh, <laughs> you know, he, he, he just racks up sacks. What is it, eight and a half? Um, he has the sideline to sideline ability. You know, the question really is going to be, can he be an off-ball linebacker? 
you know, he doesn't have a lot of experience in coverage, so he may end up, you know, teams may be looking at him as a stand-up edge rusher, um, at least early on in his career at, uh, at that linebacker spot. I think Smell Munden um, has kind of separated himself from, from some of the others there in that linebacker group because of his athleticism. I think Jalen Ford, look, 6'2", 221, a lot of people aren't talking about 41 for the Texas Longhorns, but this is a guy that just has a nose for the football, always around making plays. I've got Barrett Carter over on my outside linebackers at 6'1", 220. You know, it could be could be a will. Um, he's kind of that new age linebacker and uh, a guy that I think, you know, could he be a first round pick? Possibly he does a little bit of everything. I think he'll probably fall into that, that Trenton Simpson um, range when it's all said and done, second, third round, somewhere around there. Uh, Princely Umamilan, um, I've really you know enjoyed watching him play. Uh, at 6'4", or 6'5", 245 pounds. He's a guy that's shown that he can get after the quarterback at a much better rate. Um, I think he's even better as a run defender. Um, and he's coming along as a um, as a pass rusher and really developing some of that, that skill set there. Um, so, you know, the Jonah Ellis obviously burst onto the scene. Only a junior. I'd like to see him come back for one more season. He got hit with the injury bug a little bit. Um, you know, the spin move is, is deadly. Um, they're at that outside linebacker position. I mentioned uh, D tackle. And, uh, you know, when we look at the year-end awards, uh, Tavondre Sweat, they're at that Outland Trophy Award, um, battling it out with, with Joe Alt and Cooper Beebe. Tavondre Sweat is a, a huge dude. He's 6'4", 362 pounds. And yet, he's a guy that gets in and will be disruptive against the pass. That's one of the things that's crazy, is this guy is not just a guy that's going to take up a lot of space. He's a guy that's going to make plays around the line of scrimmage. 17 and a half tackles for loss, including eight this past season. Five total sacks in his career, including two this year. 13 pass breakups uh, in his career as well. This is a guy that, is, you know, again, he's a guy that can also get after the quarterback. And that's something that you don't always see from a guy at 6'4 and 362 pounds. You just don't. And that's one of the things that I think makes Tavondre Sweat special. Um, I've already mentioned Johnny Newton. This is a dude that knows how to get after the quarterback. He's a lot of fun to watch. Leonard Taylor's at, you know, is, is an athletic freak. Um, they're coming out of Miami. Uh, Chris Jenkins has the bloodlines. He's a guy that does a lot of the dirty work there for Michigan. Byron Murphy, the second, is the versatile athletic type there for Texas. Uh, and, and same with, with Tyleek Williams. Look, 6'2", 290 pounds. Explosive, a guy that's going to get up the field in a hurry. McKinley Jackson, he'll play the nose for you at 6'2", 325, and uh, is going to be stout at the point of attack. I'll give you a name of a sleeper at the defensive tackle position. Watch Tulane play. Watch number zero, Patrick Jenkins. Hard to miss because of that number zero. 6'2", 286, a little undersized. But man, this is a guy like Johnny, uh, like Johnny Newton. He's going to want to get into the backfield. He's going to want to be disruptive, and he's going to chase down quarterbacks. He's one of the guys that, again, I, I have a ton of fun watching him play uh, at uh, you know, one of the my favorite group of five guys to watch play. Um, you know, 20 tackles for loss, eight and a half sacks in his career, 11 tackles for loss, five and a half sacks this season. When we look at the edge, uh, the defensive ends, Jared versus the guy that's continuing to develop as an edge rusher. He's 6'4", 251. Look, this guy was a tight end at one point there at, uh, at Albany, and he's developed into uh, one of the premier edge rushers. So really kudos to him in terms of that work ethic. 
uh, JT Tui Malowal, 64270, Brandon Dorless, 63290, a couple of bigger guys. Um, you know, I think Dorless is actually a little bit twitchier than JT Tui Malowal, but JT has that, that bull rush that uh, can be so, so devastating. But the guy that is just uh, is really coming along and really coming on is, is Darius Robinson out of Missouri. At 6'5", 296, this is a guy that can play a lot of different positions. He can be a, a five technique in a, in a 34 defense. He can put his hand in the dirt as a defensive tackle or defensive end in a 43 defense as well. Um, look, you know, 12 tackles for loss, seven and a half sacks this year. Um, lining up all over the line for the Mizzou Tigers, who are number nine in the country and going to a New Year's Six Bowl. I mean, I think you can pretty much write that uh, in pen um, if you're scoring at home. But the reason why I wanted to talk about the Mizzou Tiger is there is another Mizzou Tiger that is up for an award that people just haven't been talking about at all. And that's Cody Schrader, the, the little running back there for, for Mizzou. You know, he's, he's in a, a tough competition. He's got Ollie Gordon. He's got Omari and Hampton, a couple of guys from Oklahoma State and North uh, North Carolina, respectively. And, and look, you know, it's going to be an interesting race to see who ends up winning this. Ollie Gordon leading the the country in in yards at, at 1,580 with 20 touchdowns. Um, obviously, something that that jumps off charts there. Um, and then you've obviously got Omari and Hampton. Over 1,400 yards on the ground, 1,438, 15 touchdowns. Um, but Cody Schrader is right there. 1,483 yards, second in the country, only two Ollie Gordon, uh, and 13 touchdowns as well. Um, so explosive. When you look at, at what they do as as pass catchers, that's that's the other thing that, that you have to also uh, keep in mind. You know, Can they be versatile? You know, obviously, Ollie Gordon, 33 catches, 27, uh, 272 yards. Um, Cody Schrader at 21 with 192. Omari and Hampton, 26 with, with 215. Any one of these guys is deserving of that Doak Walker Award. But the reason why I wanted to talk about Cody Schrader is this guy has really burst on the scene and come out of nowhere. The transfer from Truman State. This is a guy, he played four years at Truman State and was an absolute stud at the Division II school. Um, that's where my dad actually went to school, was at Truman State. And uh, so it's, it's really cool to see what, what Cody Schrader's doing. 5'9", 214 pounds. You watch the, the vision. You watch the uh, you know the explosiveness. And then his, his toughness, right? The, the contact balance, uh, his ability to run through arm tackles. And then he gets down the field in a hurry and showcases some speed, man. He can run away from some defenders. And if you look at some of the games that he's had this year, um, you know it's, it's really impressive. You know, he's gone over uh, 100 yards in each of the last five games. Uh, only game that they that they lost was was to Georgia. Uh, you know, 159 yards and two touchdowns against South Carolina. Uh, Georgia, 22 carries, 112 yards and a score. Uh, against Tennessee, had 35 carries for 205 yards and a score, along with five catches for 116 yards. You know, there aren't too many guys that can boast a 200-yard rushing game and a 100-yard receiving game. Then 148 yards against Florida, 217 yards against Arkansas. Uh, this is a guy that, look, you know, when he was was firing on all cylinders, you know, he... he he just made it so tough on on, on defenses and, and Mizzou, you know they were they're ten and two, 
Their only two losses were to LSU and Georgia. He went over 100 yards in both of those games and made it really tough on both of those schools. Uh, you know, Georgia, they had to had to come from behind at one point. You know, it was 30 to, to 21 was the final. And then that LSU game uh, in, in early October uh, gave Mizzou their first loss, 49-39. I mean, it was, it was one of those games that went back and forth. Jaden Daniels ultimately won that game. But, uh, you know, to me, Cody Schrader is one of those guys that is a sleeper. He's one of those running backs that's flying under the radar. You know, you look at him. He may not even get himself drafted. You know, I, I think ultimately he's worth a, a day three flyer. But when you look at this year, you know, the the game and how it's evolving, you know, obviously, you know, Travion Henderson, Audric Estime, Blake Corum, Bucky Irving, Trey Benson, Braylon Allen, um, those are all guys that are going to be at the top of the running back class. But Cody Schrader is a guy to me that I think teams should be paying attention to in the middle to late day three. He's a guy that I think could end up making an NFL roster as a change of pace back. I think he's a guy that could end up turning heads at the next level. So, Doak Walker Award, I honestly think it's going to go to Ollie Gordon. I mean, you look at the numbers, much like Cody Schrader. Look, he had a, a six-catch day for 116 yards against Kansas. Um, back-to-back 200-yard games, including that West Virginia game um, on October 21st. 282 yards on the ground and four scores. And in his final two games, he averaged 165 yards uh, against Houston and BYU with, with eight touchdowns, including five against uh, against the Cougars uh, of BYU. I just realized Houston are also the Cougars, but uh, ended up with, with nine total receptions against the two as well. So I, I think Ollie Gordon, he's a guy to be on the lookout for, for sure, in next year's draft. Don't, don't, uh, you know, don't get that twisted. And, and I think, um, you know, Marion Hampton, another guy who's had a tremendous season, um, but again, just getting back to Cody Schrader when we're talking about the Doak Walker Award, he's a guy for me that teams should be looking at late in the draft. A lot of people aren't talking about him, and that's okay. I think you know, he could even end up being an undrafted free agent who ends up surprising, making a roster, and, and potentially making an impact. So with that, we're going to go ahead and put a close to this, this podcast um, kind of been all over the place. We've talked about some of the end of year awards. We talked, at, you know, about the quarterbacks at length. We talked through some of the receivers. Um, talked through some edge rushers a little bit in terms of their play as well. Really got to look at the top ten picks. I think we've got some matchups to really look forward to in the conference championships. Make sure you tune in Friday, December first. Oregon, Washington. That's going to be a huge matchup. We've already talked about it, um, you know, quite a bit in the podcast. A lot of the different matchups. Um, you know, I'm going to be curious to see. You know, really, you know, the running back position. You know, Dylan Johnson has made him a draft-worthy running back. A guy that I think you know didn't really get to showcase what he could do at Mississippi State. He's really balled out with the Huskies. Had that huge uh, game against USC. Um, interested to see what he can do there, but then you also look at uh, um, at uh, at Bucky Irving. Bucky Irving to me is a top five running back in this year's draft class. Then you also have the Conference USA Championship, and look, Liberty, yes, Liberty, the Flames, number twenty four in the country, 
They are 12-0. Jamie Chadwell really has this team firing on all cylinders. And this is a younger team. You know, you've got Quinton Cooley, uh, the, the diminutive running back, 5'7", but 210 pounds, uh, a redshirt junior. Uh, this is a guy over 1,200 yards. He'll be back for another year. Same with their explosive playmaker on the outside and C.J. Daniels, 831 yards through the air, but 20.8 yards per reception. Um, you know, you look at, at that group, you've got four guys with at least 10 catches who have averaged at least 20 yards per reception uh, on the year. So expect Liberty to throw the ball at will, have a lot of fun there against New Mexico State. But look, New Mexico State is no slouch. Look at what they did against Auburn, 31 to 10. Happily took their money and then happily stomped all over them. Diego Pavia, their, their quarterback, um, over 2,700 yards as a passer. Also, their leading rusher with 800 yards on the ground. Six foot 200, only a junior. Um, he's the guy that I think has continued to progress. You know, he, he's a, a gunslinger, a bit, you know, and takes a lot of chances. Um, he'll be back for another year, but he's a guy to to keep an eye out for as well. So again, a couple of younger teams there in Conference USA, but a lot of fun to watch. Then you get to Saturday's matchups, right? And so, Big 12 championship. You know, that a lot's on the line for Texas. They could still sneak their way into the college football playoff. They'll go up against Ollie Gordon and those Oklahoma State Cowboys. Uh, Texas, look, you know, Quinn Ewers, I think, is going to be back for one more year after the injury. Um, obviously, with Jonathan Brooks going down to the knee injury, you know, that's over 12, uh, 1,100 yards on the ground that they have to replace. Uh, they've got C.J. Baxter, Jaden Blue there as well. Uh, Quinn Ewers, again, you know, over 2,700 yards through the air, much improved completion percentage, 69.8. Um, 17 touchdowns, does have five picks. Um, but between Xavier Worthy and Adonai Mitchell, that's you know, over, you know, just under 1,600 yards and, and 14 touchdowns. You've got the big tight end, uh, Jatavian Sanders. Look for big number zero down the seam, 16.2 um, yards per reception. That's more than any of the top six receivers on Texas. Um, so keep an eye out for him as well. I, I think, you know, Jatavian Sanders is going to be a guy that um, could end up playing a pivotal role. Uh, Jalen Ford, leading tackler yet again for this group, 88 um, on the year. And that's 31 more than the next highest. But I mentioned to, to Vondre Sweat, keep a big eye out for the big man. This dude is fifth on the team in tackles with 40. So a guy that's going to be tremendously active up front. Um, I, I look at Texas. I think Texas is going to win this game. Um, I, I think ultimately, you know, I think there's a lot of people that are expecting Oklahoma State to win. I think, you know, I've got a lot of friends who are Oklahoma State fans. I live in Oklahoma City, and, and a lot of people have talked up Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. Ollie Gordon running the ball. They're going to have to really get things going there. So expect to see, you know, Sweat, Ford, and company really get after the, the, the run. Um, you know, Nicholas Martin is a running, is a linebacker that nobody's really talked about. He's a sophomore, undersized guy. But, uh, you know, six sacks on the year and a guy that has 120 total tackles. So a, a guy that can be very dynamic. You've got Colin Oliver, edge rusher with six sacks so far. He's, he's another guy who's undersized at 6'2", 235. But he's a guy that's going to have to get to Quinn Ewers early and often. Um, he and, and Martin, really, the 12, ta the 12 sacks, that's, uh, you know, half of the pokes 
total there at that uh, at that spot. So those are the guys that I think are really going to be pivotal to uh, Oklahoma State on defense, along with Kendall Daniels, their safety. Uh, 90 tackles on the year, a couple of sacks, a guy that's going to uh, patrol the back end of that defense for them, 6'4", 213. Uh, a guy to keep an eye out for in future drafts, only a sophomore as well. Uh, Oklahoma State, a younger team, and that's why I think Texas at the end of the day is going to end up uh, surging away for that victory. Miami of Ohio taking on Toledo. When you look at Toledo, there are guys on defense that I absolutely love. I think Taquan Finn is a solid quarterback for them. You know, you've got Penny Boone, the big physical bruiser, over 1,300 yards on the ground, 15 touchdowns as well. Um, but, man, keep an eye out for Dallas Gant, their linebacker. I think this is a guy that can play at the next level. Um, 6'3", 230 pounds. Um, a guy that, look, he played it at Ohio State, transferred to Toledo. Uh, Max and Hook, their safety, uh, 60 tackles on the year. Um, another physical guy on the back end, only a junior, will be back for another year. Uh, but Quinion Mitchell is my guy. 16 pass breakups. This is a dude that has tremendous ball skills, Six foot, 196. He's in my top five at the cornerback position. Five interceptions in, uh, in 2022. They just don't want to throw his way very often in, in 2023. But, uh, you know, they're taking on Miami of Ohio. Uh, you know, kind of an upstart program there. Look, they're 10-2. and two, Finished first in the MAC, uh, you know, in the East. Led by, by Brett Gabbert. Um, they, they've got Gage uh, Larva, uh, Larva, Larvadan. And then uh, Matt Salapek is, is their, their linebacker at, you know, with 125 uh, total tackles on the year. Uh, he's the veteran leader, 6'1", 230. I feel like he's been there a lot longer than that. That's only be a junior. Uh, Caden Woolard is, is a guy that knows how to get after the quarterback, 6'5", 252 pounds, nine and a half sacks on the year. He's a guy that's going to be teaming up with the linebacker, Ty Wise, who's 6'2", 242, also only a junior. A lot of young guys on that group. I ultimately think Toledo's the, the team that's going to end up getting it done there in the MAC championship. Mountain West Championship, Boise State, Andy Avalos uh, gets fired, and uh, Boise State's still in the in the Mountain West Championship. Go figure, seven and five on the year. Um, this is a team. Look, you know they've got Ashton Jaunty. He's a guy that we're going to be talking about in next year's draft class at the running back position. Um, you know, I, I think really the the guy that everyone's going to be watching on defense is Ahmed uh, uh, Hassanin. You know, he's 6'3", 272 pounds, and, and 12 sacks on the year. A guy that just knows how to get after the quarterback. Um, that's a guy that I think is going to have to get to the you – know, put pressure there on uh, UNLV's quarterback, um, and, and that's uh, Jaden Maiava. Um, t- you know, took over for, for Doug Brumfield, um, you know, but you've got the, the receiver there, Ricky White. He's the guy that I think everybody's going to be watching, 6'1", 190. Again, another guy who's only a junior. He'll be back for, for another season there with the with the Rebels. Uh, Jackson Woodard is another dude that's a lot, you know, that's really interesting. Followed his head coach, uh, Perry Odom, to, uh, to UNLV from Arkansas, 6'3", 230 pounds. He's the guy that I think can end up playing at the, at the next level, um, a versatile athlete. But again, He's only a junior. He's coming back for one more year. They also have Jose Pizano, who is up for the Lou Grozo Award. He's one of the finalists there. 
I, you know, this is a, a toss-up for me. I think ultimately at the end of the day, UNLV, I just, I, I'm a big fan of Barry Odoms. I think he ends up getting it done there for the Rebels in their first Mountain West championship. You look at Georgia taking on Bama. I look at what Bama did against Auburn, squeaking by. Jalen Milrow, yes, he's improved as a quarterback, but this guy's living dangerously. I think Georgia's going to take it to him. I think you're going to watch out for for the, the corners on the outside. I think that Kamari Lassiter is going to be locking down uh, Jermaine Burton. He's going to be locking down Isaiah Bond, whoever he's going to be covering. I think that defense up front, you know, Nazir Stackhouse at the nose, nose tackle spot, Smell Munden, um, and then obviously some of the younger guys like like CJ uh, CJ Allen, uh, Michael Williams. They'll be getting after uh, Jace McClellan. Keep an eye out for some of those matchups there on the offensive line. J.C. Latham there for, for Alabama going up against um, the likes of Smell Munden and, and Michael Williams. Uh, they're just going to throw a lot of different guys out there. Uh, he and Caden Proctor, especially with, with Caden Proctor, the, the mammoth left tackle, um, they've struggled with some speed rushers, so keep an eye out there. And then when Alabama's on defense, uh, Amarius Mims, he's a guy that could be a uh, top 15 pick at the right tackle spot. See what happens when he goes up against Chris Braswell. See what happens when he goes up against Dallas Turner. And then, you know, obviously, you know, Justin at Boigby, he's a guy that I think could move up draft boards, kind of like what Byron Young did. Um, similar style, similar position. Um, Kool-Aid McKinstry on the outside. Line him up against Lab McConkey. I think Bo Bauer, or I'm sorry, Brock Bowers is going to be the guy that is going to be the difference maker there at that tight end position. I just don't see anybody on Bama's team that can cover him. And so that's why I think Georgia's going to end up winning there. Uh, Tulane, number 22 in the land, taking on SMU. SMU has a top uh, 15 defense. Um, but you look at Tulane, I think Tulane's just going to have a little bit too much there for them. Um, you know, look, SMU, though, they are 10 and 2 on the year. Um, you know, Preston Stone, you know, a nice young quarterback there for uh, for SMU. Jalen Knight, the transfer from Miami, he is ultimately going to be your, um, you know, your your top running back. But the guy to really watch out for is R.J. Maryland. He's only a sophomore, but 6'4", 233 pounds. He's their leading receiver, 29 catches, 462, and, uh, and seven touchdowns. He's a guy that I think um, is an NFL caliber tight end. Um, they've got a couple of guys on, de- on defense that can get after the quarterback, namely Elijah Roberts. He's 6'4", 278, eight and a half sacks. Uh, he is a senior. He's uh, eligible for, for the draft. He'll be a guy to, to keep an eye on, see how he can how he can play and potentially elevate some of his draft stock as well. Uh, but for Tulane, look, you know, you've got Michael Pratt, you know, the, the best quarterback that nobody's really talking about. He's got a big arm. Um, very athletic as well, intelligent player. But look, they're going to want to run the ball. Uh, Makai Hughes, they're running back over 1,200 yards on the ground, only a freshman, 5'11", 205. Michael Pratt is just a heady, heady quarterback, 21 touchdowns, four interceptions, um, second-leading rusher with 321 yards on the ground and four scores. Um, they've got a lot of different receivers. Um, you know, I think uh, Chris Brazel is, is a leading guy. Uh, you've got Yule Keith Brown. You know, will Lawrence Keys or Jaquan Jackson be healthy? I, I don't even know if they um, suffered any season-ending injuries or, or if they, they'll be available for the game. That's going to be huge for Michael Pratt and company. Um, you know, I mentioned Patrick Jenkins on the podcast earlier. Darius Hodges, the defensive end, at 6'2", 280, only a junior. 
He's got seven and a half sacks. He's a guy to keep an eye on for sure. And then in the in the secondary, Lance Robinson and Jarius Monroe, a couple of lockdown corners, and then Cam Pettisloo. Stayed in, in uh, the state of Louisiana, transfer from uh, the University of, of Louisiana Lafayette, the, the Raging Cajuns. I think the number 22 Tulane Green Wave ultimately get the job done and end up winning the American Athletic Conference title. Um, in, in the Sun Belt, you've got Appalachian State taking on Troy. Uh, Troy's 10 and 2 on the year. They finished first in the Sun Belt West. Uh, Gunnar Watson's your quarterback, but the guy that I'm really looking forward to seeing is Kamani Vidal. He's only a junior, 5'8, 215, but look, over 1,300 yards on the ground. He's a guy that I think is going to be a lot of fun to watch in this game. Um, you know, I think defensively, the, the guy is you know that you've got to watch is Richard uh, Jabuner. He's 6'3", 229 pounds. He's an undersized guy. Is he a defensive end? Is he a linebacker? He's probably going to be a 34 outside linebacker. Will he get himself drafted? I think there's enough there to you know, warrant a late round pick on him. Um, I think he's an athletic edge rusher. Then you've got Reddy Stewart, you know, the, the corner on the outside, 5'11", 178, a guy that I think can end up being a, a nice uh, slot corner, potentially a nickel, four interceptions, eight pass breakups on the year. He'll be a guy that's looking to uh, step up and lock down on the edge there against Appalachian State. Look, App State, they're 8-4, finished second in the Sun Belt East, obviously, you know, with James Madison, who still ends up making a bowl because there aren't enough six-win teams, but whatever. Um, App State actually beat them, ruined their uh, their their perfect season. Joey Aguilar, the quarterback. You got Nate Noel, the running back there. Um, you know, App State defensively is led by by Andrew Parker, the linebacker, athletic guy, 6'2", 235, um, 98 tackles on the year. Um, then you have an edge rusher like like Nate Johnson. 6'5", 230 pounds, only a freshman, seven and a half sacks on the season as well. Um, then you've got uh, Ethan Johnson, the corner, 10 pass breakups, 5'11", 195, smaller dude, um, younger guy, and then uh, Tyreek Funderburg, who is 6'185", uh, four interceptions on the year. He's the guy to keep an eye on out on the outside. Uh, you know, Troy's been pretty consistent all season long. I think they end up getting the job done there. And then look, you know, you've got Michigan and, and Ohio. I'm sorry, in Iowa, the number two ranked uh, Wolverines. We know what they can do. We've talked about them on offense, defensively. You know, they're just they're they're stout. They're they're physical. They want to want to get after you. They they do a good job with the rotation uh, up front as well. Um, you know, I want to see more from Josiah Stewart. You know, I know he was a transfer from from Coastal Carolina. I'm hoping he can get more more reps. Uh, they're at that spot. Junior Colson's one of the linebackers that's extremely active. Uh, Kenneth Grant is a beast. We'll be talking about him in next year's draft cycle. He and Dante Corleone, the godfather who's coming back to Cincinnati for one more year. Uh, but Iowa, let's talk about Iowa a little bit, right? Uh, Cooper DeGene out for the year. You know, the big injury, that's devastating for sure. Um, not much of a passing game to speak of. Not much of a running game to speak of. Um, no, but uh, Jay Higgins is the linebacker that's really emerged. 6'2", 233, very active, uh, 141 tackles on the year. You know, this is a defense that is just going to lock lock it, lock it, you down. They're going to grind things out. They're going to grind out wins. Um, and so that, you know, that physicality, 
That's really what I want to see here is, you know, how physical can they be against Michigan? Can they take it to them? Nick Jackson, the transfer from Virginia, 6'2", 237. This is a guy that has 91 tackles, four sacks. Um, you know, a guy that you know they're going to need to have a big game from as well. Um, but when I look at Iowa, I look at what they've they've done. Um, you know, they, they didn't have, you know, they didn't get to play Michigan on the year. Their only two losses was a 12-10 loss to Minnesota. You know, obviously the Penn State game they got blown out, 31 to nothing. Um, so that's going to be a huge question mark. I think Iowa has gotten better as the season's progressed. They found a little bit more offense when they needed to. I mean, they beat Rutgers 22 to nothing. Um, I still think Michigan gets the job done. I think JJ uh, McCarthy, if he needs to, um, you know, we want to see him step up and make a, make some plays. He's got Roman Wilson on the outside. He's got a, a you know a couple of tight ends and AJ Barner and Colson Loveland that he'll want to throw to. But man, just run the ball behind that offensive line. Let Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards do their thing. And then ACC championship. The other nightcap, you've got Florida State taking on Louisville, number four ranked. Uh, Seminoles, obviously we know Jordan Travis, the, the devastating injury um, goes down for the year, just devastating. Um, you know, this is a guy that I thought you know was putting together a pretty nice argument for a Heisman campaign with over 2,700 yards passing, uh, 20 touchdowns, and just two interceptions, um, seven seven touchdowns on the ground as well. Um, you know, and a guy that I do have in my top 10 quarterback rankings, even with the leg injury. Um, you know, when that leg was kind of pointing off to the left against uh, North Alabama, that was really a, a scary sight to be, you know, for sure. Uh, but stepping in is, is Tate, Tate, uh, Tate Rodemaker. You know, you think of Ohio State, you think of Cardell Jones um, stepping in. What's going to happen here with, with Tate? Obviously, Keon Coleman, we know what he what he can do. The 11 touchdowns on the year. Johnny Wilson, big physical receiver, a guy that can get down the field, 6'7", huge catch radius, concentration drops are the biggest concern there. Uh, Jaheim Bell is another guy to keep an eye out for as a pass catcher for uh, Florida State and then defensively I've already mentioned uh, Jared Burse, a guy that knows how to get after the quarterback. Kalen Deloach is an interesting guy. The linebacker, 63 tackles, leads the team with Tatum Bethune, but also seven, uh, seven sacks, so keep an eye out for the 6'1", 212-pound undersized linebacker, but a guy that's going to look to shoot gaps, get into the backfield, make some plays. Tatum Bethune's a little bit bigger guy. Um, interior presence, 6'1", 230 pounds. Um, you know, Fentrell Cypress is, is one of the better corners, along with Renardo Green. Um, so all these guys um, you know, are going to be looking to make some plays there on, on the back end of the defense. Braden Fisky, I'm sorry, Braden Fisk, you know, the transfer from uh, Western Michigan, has been a presence on the interior of that line. Three sacks on the year um, from the interior. They've got some young guys like Patrick Payton, who's racked up five sacks as well. I think that you know, there's enough defensively to really put some pressure on Louisville. Um, you know, they've got Jack, uh, Jack Plummer there, uh, you know, who's been a staple of Brian Brom's, uh, or Jeff Brom, excuse me, Jeff Brom's offense. Over 20, 2,900 yards uh, through the air. But you look at Jawar Jordan, over 1,000 yards uh, on the ground, 5'10", 185 pounds. He's a junior, so he can come back for another year. Speedster, um, you know, has battled some injuries, so Isaac Arendo is the guy that could be stepping in for him. You know, you look at the receivers, uh, Jamari Thrash, look, you know, nearly, what, just over 400 yards more than any other receiver on this on this group. 
185, transfer from uh, Georgia State, and uh, you know a guy that can be dynamic on the outside. He's a guy that's just outside my top 10 um, in this year's draft class. The question will be whether or not he decides to come out or uh, come back for one more year. I think when you look at the secondary, Quincy Riley's one of the better corners um, in the ACC, six foot 185. He's another guy that can come back for another year. Ashton Gelati, also a junior, he's 6'3", 270, um, physical presence, you know, 11 sacks on the year. He's going to use his hands to his advantage. You'll see the bull rush. You'll see some spin moves, quick hands. He's a guy that's going to come off the edge and, and really wreak havoc there for Tate Rodemaker. This is shaping up to be a really interesting matchup. Um, you know, Louisville, they lost two games. You know, Kentucky, they lose 38-31. I think they're coming off of that game being supremely focused. You saw after they lost to Pitt, you know, there was that, that game against Notre Dame. There was a huge letdown after that 33-20 win. They lose 38-21 to Pitt. Then they win 23-0 uh, in convincing style against number 20, Duke. They played Miami. You know, that was a, a huge battle back and forth. 38-31 win. They end up losing 38-31 to Kentucky. I think they rebound. I think they get the job done against Florida State. I think Tate Rodemaker, look, you know, we saw against Florida, not a ton of offense in that game. They end up winning 24-15. You know, I think they're going to lean on Trey Benson. The guy can not only rush the football, he can also uh, catch the ba- catch the football out of the backfield as well. 838 yards on the ground, 14 touchdowns. You love the physicality and the contact balance, but again, the soft hands. 18 catches, 212 yards. That's 11.8 yards per reception. Did have that 180-yard reception, um, you know, taking it to the house earlier in the season. I I ultimately think that if Ashton Gelati and company can put some pressure on Tate Rodemaker. Quincy Riley sitting there on the back end of that defense. He's going to be chomping at the bit to to make some plays. I ultimately think that Louisville is going to get that upset. And so when we're talking about the college football playoff, you know, we look at who's going to win. I think Georgia will be your, your number one. I think Michigan ultimately will be your number two. I, I look at Washington and Oregon, and honestly, this one's going to be a coin toss. Um, Oregon, I love their physicality. I, I love the way that they're they're playing right now. But Washington just still seems to find a way to win. And that's one of the things that I, I think Washington did that to them once already. It's hard to beat a team twice. But I just look at UW. They're not playing in um, Austin Stadium. So I'm going with, with Washington. That's number three. And then you're looking at number four. Who's going to be number four? Is Ohio State going to get in there? I mean, they're not even a conference champion. Alabama loses their second game. They're not a conference champion either. I ultimately think there will be a, a situation to where the Oregon's a two-loss team. They're not getting it. So it's shaping up for Texas. One loss, Texas. Their only loss, two Oklahoma, Red River rivalry. Uh, you know, 15 seconds to play. Nick Anderson catches the pass in the back of the end zone. I think it was a 15-yarder from Dylan Gabriel. That's what kept Texas from a perfect season. I think that there's going to be a way that Texas ends up sneaking in. Um, you know, when you talk about the top four teams, um, Ohio State has performed at a high level. Um, you know, who was Texas beaten? You know, I think the argument still goes back to, well, they beat Alabama. 
And you look at, at what Alabama has done, you know, especially if they play Georgia tough. Um, I think that's going to bode well for Texas. Um, you know, the two the, the teams that'll be in front of them, Oregon at number five. Oregon will have two losses. Alabama sitting there at number eight. They're kind of out of things, and so Alabama will have a loss. They'll be out of it as well. Florida State they just lost to, to Louisville. That's their first loss. So do they still make it in? I think because Jordan Travis is not there, I don't think he makes it, or Florida State makes it in. Um, so then the question becomes Ohio State or Texas. And I think with Texas as a conference champion, I think that's ultimately what ends up tipping the, the scale in their favor. Ohio State already fell four spots in that loss to Michigan. So uh, Georgia, Michigan, Washington, Texas, with the caveat, you know, that, you know, I, I think there's a chance that we could see Ohio State sneak in there. But I really think as a conference champ, uh, you know, Texas has the pedigree. They have the star power on that team as well. And uh, when you look at the matchups after that, Texas and Georgia, you know, you want to talk about some blue bloods. There you go. And then Michigan taking on Washington. I don't know what it is with Michigan, you know, potentially lining up against another team wearing purple. Um, you know, we know what happened last year when they went up against the, the, the Horn Frogs. I would love to see Michigan in that, that ground attack against Michael Penix Jr. and that passing attack. And then with, with Georgia against Texas, um, you know, Texas, they've got some young guys, Anthony Hill and company. Can they slow down Brock Bowers? Um, you know, the physicality up front, can they slow down that rushing attack? That's really where Georgia loves to, to get things going. Really force Carson Beck to not just be a game manager, but can he be the guy to lead this team to victory? That's going to be a huge question mark there. Uh, Texas, obviously, Quinn Ewers would have to have a huge game uh, because you'll be relying on that running game. And uh, you know, Georgia is going to get after that run, which would then open up that pass. And you're going to have guys that will probably come off the board early on day two in Xavier Worthy, Adnai Mitchell, and Jatavion Sanders in that that passing attack and so that's really going to make things interesting but obviously before you know we'll be talking about these these matchups again obviously um when we start getting into bowl season we'll talk about who to keep an eye out for at least one draft prospect for each bowl you know each participant in every bowl game we'll talk about some of the different matchups things to watch out for for sure we'll also delve into uh, the offensive line, edge rushers, the secondary, and all the positions and storylines that we haven't touched on in this podcast. So until next time, everyone, for readyforthedraft.com, this has been the Ready for the Draft podcast. I've been your host, Greg Schutz. Enjoy your weekend of conference championships. Until next time, I'm